Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Be Her Village podcast. My name is Caitlin Legreas, and I'm the founder of Be Her Village. Be Her Village is an online gift registry for what moms really need, support, not stuff. We're talking to providers and people who care for moms in their pregnancy, their birth, their postpartum. We're talking to real moms and hearing their stories and really just getting into all the good stuff that comes along with new parenthood. So check us out, tune in, and let us know what you think. Hello, and welcome back to the Be Her Village podcast. I'm Janelle, and this is Be Her Village, the gift registry where you register for pregnancy and postpartum support. So just like you ask your friends and family to contribute money to your stroller, crib, or baby swing with 32 speeds, you can ask your loved ones to contribute to your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum support services. It works like this. You put the services you want on your registry, like a doula, prenatal yoga class, childbirth ed class, and then your family and friends contribute as much or as little money as they want to any of those services, and you, the expectant parent, gets those funds directly into your account so you can pay for your providers when you're ready. As of today, there is just under $36,000 that has been gifted to new parents through the Be Her Village registry, which is amazing because the baby gift industry is a $12 billion industry in the United States, and it's about time that we started using those funds to support our mothers. Create your free registry today at BeHerVillage.com. In today's episode, Caitlin McGreas, founder of Be Her Village, talks with Dr. Joel Warsh, better known as Dr. Gator. They talk about keeping babies and families healthy, and the answer is actually not to obsessively wash your hands. Dr. Gator stresses the importance of eating well, sleeping well, movement, and many other lifestyle factors that impact our wellness. Universally, parents are wanting to help their little ones be well and to thrive, and Dr. Gator breaks down lots of easy ways to make that happen. And obviously, I must include a disclaimer that none of the following should be used as medical advice. Please seek out your own medical providers for specific guidance on all of your unique experiences. Dr. Gator's information is linked in the show notes, and he has a master class coming up for new parents, which you can sign up early for by clicking on the link that is listed. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Enjoy this episode with Dr. Gator. Okay, so tell me your name and what it is that you do. Joel Warsh, and I am a board-certified pediatrician. Wonderful. So your persona is Dr. Gator, right? I am curious just for myself, uh, where did the name Dr. Gator come from? So it's actually from my wife. Her last name's Intelligator, and so it kind of cut on. It's like, haha, Dr. Gator, um, and, and that's really where it's from. It's not a Florida thing. I grew up in Toronto, nothing against Florida, but it's just a, <laughs> it's a wife thing. I definitely thought it was a Florida thing, but I love that it's a wife thing. That's very, very cool. <laughs> it's very progressive of you. Yeah, oh, you know it. <laughs> yes. um, so can you tell me a little bit about what sets you apart from other pediatricians? Yeah. So, you know, for me, I did all the regular training. I trained at a great Western allopathic program, but I got a little bit frustrated with the regular system and super short visits and treating everything with a medication all the time. Mm -hmm. And so that's what really led me to start learning about natural medicine and integrative medicine. I'm not against Western medicine at all. I think it's amazing. And there are so many wonderful uh, cures to things that we, you know, didn't have even five, 10 years ago. But Mm -hmm. I also think that we are unfortunately to some degree forgetting about all of the natural and alternative treatments that have been around for thousands and thousands of years and are used all over the world. And so I have really um, tried to learn as much as I can about some of these other uh, modalities and try to balance 
both worlds and, and, and try to bring the best uh, of both worlds into any visit. And, and obviously there are some times where um, a medication is needed. You have a bad pneumonia, you need an antibiotic, and, and that's totally fine and reasonable. But there's also lots of opportunities where you might not need a medication and, and having the option of some natural support first, uh, I think, is a great tool to have. So that way we can minimize the amount of medication that we use as much as possible. That is incredible. That is just, you're really speaking to, I think, a lot of the people that um, Be Her Village, you know, talks to and are people who are listening to this podcast. But you're really speaking to me, too, as a mother. I feel like I'm constantly towing the line between modern, you know, mainstream medical care, which I believe in and support, but also the holistic health that paints a bigger picture and sort of tells a story that's outside of the mainstream. I feel like, and I wonder if you agree with me on this, that the mainstream medicine tends to be reactive to symptoms versus looking at root causes. Would you say that that's correct? Yeah. I mean, I think that really is for the most part, all of modern medicine. I mean, that's how we're taught, right? And there's nothing against that. You know, it's just that that's not the entire picture. And, and it's just, when you go to medical training, you know, we learn a lot about here are the symptoms and mm-hmm. here are the treatment or here are the symptoms. How do you think about that? How do we rule out the very serious things? Um, and then how do we, you know, treat your rash or, or, or treat your cold or, or whatever it is. And the main things that you're taught are, are medications because that's what's available in the modern Western world. But what's missing from the training, I think, is a little bit more focus on thinking about the bigger picture and thinking about the root cause and thinking about why something might be going on. It doesn't mean that you're not thinking about why at all in modern medicine, but you're, you know, there a lot of times it's very short visits and it's like, oh, you got a rash, here's a steroid. Oh, you have a cough, here's an antibiotic. But that sometimes can miss the extended conversation that you would need to have to really figure out what might be the underlying thing or cause of what's going on in general. And so it's just kind of a, I would say a way of thinking, which, which is new, newer, I think in the modern medicine world. And and it's not always the best way to think about things, especially with the rise in chronic disease. You know, we got really good in modern medicine with treating infections, but a, a big chunk of the problem these days is chronic disease. And, you know, there isn't always a quick fix. And there's usually not a quick fix to a chronic issue. It's, it's a lot more discussion-based and lifestyle-based. And that takes a lot more time um, and thought than just you know, treating something. And, and again, we need the treatments, right? Sometimes you need a steroid or you need an antibiotic and that's fine. Um, but a lot of times we need something else or more than that, or just more discussion. Yes. Oh, I love that. I have a question for you. So, I mean, I think it's a fair statement. And if not, please let me know to say that our country is unhealthy and getting unhealthier each year. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder, though, I think my perspective on that is it feels like adults are getting unhealthier by the year. Are you seeing that in your pediatric practice? Are you seeing kids also getting less healthy and, and having chronic issues that are lifestyle um, issues, as you said, versus infections. Are you seeing that in this young age group? Oh, for sure. It's a huge problem. I mean, it's one wow. of the biggest problems that we have, no question about it. The, the, the chronic disease rates are skyrocketing for adults. You know, it depends on what study and what research you look at, but it's over 50% of adults have a chronic disease and over 50% or nearing 50% of kids have also a chronic disease, meaning like uh, asthma, ADHD, autism, anything, anything you name it, where it kind of goes over a long period of time that would be under that category. And it's, it's, 
you know, most kids, it's at least half of kids. If you have two kids, one out of two likely has something they're taking a medication for. And, and that's scary. Um, mm. And yeah, the, the trends are, are not going in the right direction and life expectancy is going down for the first time ever. Right. So, you know, we're not, wow. we're, we're not doing everything right. No, it feels sometimes it feels like we're doing nothing right. But um, mm-hmm. I know that there are people like you and there's a lot of parents that are sort of waking up to this idea of mainstream health, not just being the only answer that there's something else there. Um, so what, what are the things that you're talking about? And I have to ask, what, how long are your appointments with your patients? You've referenced a couple of times already, those short appointment times. Do you have, you know, half hour, hour long sessions? What does it look like for you to work with the family? Yeah, it, it depends on what the issue is, for sure. You know, our checkups are usually 20, 30 minutes, and our uh, sick visits are usually 10, 15 minutes-ish, but it also depends on the situation. Sometimes they're longer uh, if, if needed, especially if there's, you know, a certain condition which might need half an hour or an hour, then we could, we try to book off more time so we can spend more time on it. It really just depends. You know, most average healthy kids, you don't need an hour or two hours necessarily. You could use it. I mean, we could use as much time as we, we could use. There's so much to talk about, but it's probably not super practical, mm-hmm. um, you know, to spend two hours with one patient. But that is the ideal, I would say. The more time we can spend, the better. I just think that it's probably not practical for doctors necessarily to spend that long, but you could theoretically have a team and you could spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes with the patient on the medical stuff. And then you could have somebody else like a nutritionist or whatever speaking about their field of, of expertise and, and spend more time on prevention um, than you do spending on, on treatment. So I think in the long run, it's really a team-based approach. That's the way to go. But yeah, we, I definitely spend more time than the average practitioner does based on the setup of my office. And, and you know, even based on what I, when I used to work in the hospital or in uh, bigger practices, you have to see a lot of patients every hour. So you can't spend that much time with them. Right, right. So let's talk about it. Let's get into some of like the specifics. How you you just mentioned focusing on prevention, I guess, versus reacting to a symptom. Um, what are the things that parents can be thinking about in terms of keeping their kids healthy in a preventative way? I like to call it the the seeds of health. I mean, really, it's the foundational principles, all the things that we actually already know, but we just have to be, I think, reminded of it a little bit and, and just refocus back on it. So seeds being uh, stress, um, E, environment and toxins, other E, exercise, D, diet, and S, sleep. So those are kind of the foundational principles. And we know this, what we're eating, the toxins that we're exposed to, getting enough sleep. These are all things that are extraordinarily important for our immune system and just being healthy in general. But we especially over the last couple of years, have forgotten about a lot of these things or just don't focus on it like we you know, maybe did many years ago. And it's also more important now because a lot of what we're exposed to already has a lot of issues with it. Like there are a lot of toxins in food that probably didn't exist 20, 30 years ago. So you have to be a lot more mindful about what you're eating and where you're getting things from and what you're being exposed to. Because even at a baseline, there's so many chemicals and things that we're already exposed to that we have to minimize whatever we can and decrease things however we possibly can because we just everybody can only handle so much and when we have too much inflammation and we're exposed to too many toxins we're not getting enough nutrients then you're going to get sick and that's what's happening wow i mean i love that you're saying this i i see with my children if they don't sleep and they don't eat sugar or and they eat sugar which sort of tends to go together because they usually don't sleep because of a holiday or a celebration where they're like loading up on sweets. They automatically get sick. It is 
it is like clockwork. They get sick every single time. And it, it really just like sheds light for just me, you know, N equals one, my family of how it's really not about the germs. They're always surrounded by germs, but it's about their immune defense in, in handling those germs. And when they're not rested and when they're eating junk food, man, it gets broken down so, so quickly. It's, mm-hmm. it's really wild. No, it's it's, ama- it's amazing, and if if you pay attention to it, you see it for sure. I mean, there's no question about it. It's not that you you could do everything right and you'll ne- and you'll never get sick. Of course, you know, no matter what, I think we're going to always get sick, and we're supposed to get sick and, and be exposed yeah. to, to to bugs. But by and large, when you get sick is when some of these things break down, like your stress. And we all know it. Like if you were going through school, you know, high school or college or whatever, and you're studying super hard for an exam, and you're super stressed out and you're not eating very well and you're staying up really late and then what happens like clockwork like a day after your exam or two days after your exam you're like all right i'm finally finished and then you get sick right because you're, you're you're just like on hyper mode and your body's kind of keeping things at status quo and then and but your immune system takes a hit your body takes a hit and we're always exposed to viruses and and, and bacteria and everything i mean it's everywhere right we're made of bacteria we're exposed to people with a cough every day probably all the time but you don't get sick most of the time so what is that other factor what is the reason why you get sick and it's when these other factors break down whether it's you get really nervous about something you're stressed out in your life you were eating crappy this week you didn't get any sleep you know those are the things that that contribute and if everybody it's different each situation it's different but it's not rocket science it's very basic logic that if you don't sleep and your body doesn't get the chance to recover you're going to get sick if you don't give your body the tools to handle your daily life then it's not going to worry about the virus and you're going to get sick you're going to be dealing with the the crappy food that you're eating that it has to break down that it's causing inflammation in your body or it's going to deal with the toxin that you're exposed to and it doesn't get to put 100 percent of its effort into fighting off the infection and then you get sick wow yeah this um i'm thinking too of like when i had my first baby he was uh we went to our one-year visit and the pediatrician uh, took his blood and looked at the blood work and said that he was anemic. And the first thing he did was prescribe um, iron, like prescription vitamins with iron. And I remember going home from that visit and thinking, wow, he didn't even ask me what I'm feeding this kid. You know, it just felt like such a jump to immediately prescribe things without even going over basics. Like what is this kid eating that might be causing this condition that he has. And I ended up actually resolving his iron deficiency and getting him right back into the normal range through diet alone, through buying a cast iron pan and researching vitamin C and the, the foods that make it more bioavailable. And it was, it was really an exploration and like how the medicine really exists in our food and how we can treat through diet um, at home. And it's not something I recommend. This is just something I did for myself because I felt in my gut, there was just something missing in that care. So as I'm listening to you, it's like, well, yeah, of course we should be asking about sleep. Of course we should be asking about diet. Um, but that's not actually what happens in most pediatricians offices. They, they oh, tend right. to just jump right into prescription because it's how they're trained and it's what's easy. Right. And it's not always wrong. I mean, I don't know the exact numbers and specifics of, of what was going on with you, but that's a perfect example of a situation where, you know, if the number was, it's, let's say it was mild anemia, so very mild and there's nothing concerning where you're like, oh, you know, this is really low, mm-hmm. uh, then 
why can't you just get it through food if you just focus, right? It's like, if you're like, okay, it's, it's just a little mild anemia. It's not anything dangerous. Here are foods that are iron rich. Let's try that for a month or two. Let's recheck your blood. Let's make sure it's coming back up appropriately. And, 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 you know, maybe we don't need to do so. Cause there's all sorts of stuff in most supplements too, right? I mean, you can get as clean as, as you can, but it's still not the same thing as when it's from food. Uh, and so, you know, it's a perfect example of, of, where just thinking about root cause and thinking about, okay, well, maybe they're, they weren't eating a lot of meat, or maybe they just didn't have a lot of iron rich foods, or maybe they're a really picky eater. Um, and, and, and so maybe there are ways that we can kind of encourage that just a little bit, and then we can get you back to where, where we're supposed to be without really needing to go down the route of using something that has some chemicals and, and things. It doesn't mean you can't have iron. There's good versions of it too. Right. But, you know, why are we doing that instead of food if we don't need to, right? If you need to, if you absolutely need to, if your iron's really low or the food's not working, great, but it should be step two, three, four, five, not step one, yes. right? Yeah. And, that, and that's just always what I talk about, you know, as much as I can. And, and people sometimes, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, you prescribe, let's say the Miralax is a common example for constipation, right? And there's a lot of discussion around that these days about like medication oh, yeah. patient. And it's like, it's not that you can't do a medication, right? It's that it shouldn't be the first thing that you do if something is mild. There's so many other options out there and you kind of go up the chain of what's the least risky, thing that we can do naturally to kind of support to get back to where we need to be. And if that doesn't work, then what else can we do? And what else can we do? And then you get to a medication at some point, um, you know, unless something is very serious where it's life threatening, then sometimes you need a medication that day, right then. And that's fine. And you use it when you need it, but you shouldn't need hopefully a medication every day, all the time, every month. It should be once in a while or very minimally. Right. I'm wondering, um, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I, you know, my expertise is in the birth world in OBGYN care and helping people navigate that healthcare system. Um, a big part of why OBGYNs and midwives do what they do is because they exist in a high liability field where mm -hmm. there's just immense pressure to act instead of not acting. And it's extremely problematic. I'm wondering if that exists in pediatric care. Is there, is it that doctors don't think they don't have the mindset that you do of, you know, let's have the medicine be steps two, three, four, five, or is it that they're scared of being sued? What, what do you think? What's your take on that? Um, I think it's a little bit, of, I don't, I don't think it's, so let me go back for a second. I think that for sure in pediatrics and every field in medicine and every field in America or probably the world, but mostly America, everybody's worried about getting sued all the time. So I think that's a thing no matter, no matter what, right? I, I don't think, you know, it's any different in pediatrics. Um, okay. When it comes to being sued, it's, we're talking about standard of care. So treating somebody based on standard of what a reasonable person would do at a reasonable time in the same profession, in the same situation. So... I don't think that doctors in general don't prescribe something natural because they're worried about getting sued. I think it's mostly because they have never learned about it. Wow. Right? They don't know. They don't know what 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 options are out there. They've not tried it. It's not. They've not been exposed to it. They haven't seen it work or not work. There maybe isn't the research behind it that some other things have. But a lot of stuff does actually have a good chunk of research because you know you look at something like pain. Um, and you know, 10, 15 years ago, acupuncture was very woo woo, and now it's in most hospitals, and doctors are happy to prescribe it. So it's not a it's not a liability thing why they're not prescribing an opioid. It's just because it, it's not it's not commonly done. Medicine's really slow to change. And I think if medicine and, and let's say pediatricians were exposed to a lot of the natural options, and especially if those natural options were really well studied, um, mm -hmm. just like some of the medications were studied, then if you had good evidence that things would work and it would have fewer side effects, doctors would do it without even thinking. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just, it's just not really the way that it is. It's just 
here's what we've been taught. The medications have been the things that are studied because the pharmaceutical companies and the big the people with the money, that's what they study because they're, they're trying to make money. And a lot of the natural stuff isn't studied nearly as well. So, and there's nobody pitching or teaching doctors about this stuff. Yes. That, that's my take on it. That's, I think that's a great take. I'm thinking of, again, sort of pulling it back into um, my expertise of birth and postpartum. I'm thinking about, you know, the limited education that doctors get on diet, on breastfeeding, on infant sleep. Um, I'm thinking about OBGYNs and how they don't know, uh, they widely don't know to refer to a pelvic floor therapist when there's signs of dysfunction. I mean, there's there's a lot of really great options out there that just sort of hasn't infiltrated the, the mainstream medical system because of what you said, the, the change in this system, getting doctors and hospital systems on board with evidence-based care is a slow, slow, slow moving process. Um, right. And that's a good thing too, right? We don't want doctors or professionals prescribing or doing things that are not safe uh, or not studied well, right? That, that's like, that's what you want. So it's not a totally bad thing, but it also, there's so much information now and things are moving so quickly. And we're also, there's a lot of bias in the medical world because of pharmaceutical companies and how much money they have and how much they push certain things for better or worse. They do the research and the research might give you the best medication, but the best medication might not be the best option for that patient. But if the practitioner doesn't even know about the other thing, uh, then they're not going to be able to to offer that. Because again, we're, we're talking about pediatricians here, right? Or, or OBs or midwives or, or people that take care of, of, of kids, right? It's like, you're not, you're not going into that because you're a bad person <laughs> or you're trying to like harm the child or do what you think is going to like not be the best for that kid. It's just, that's what you know. And so that's what you're going to do. And I, 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 I'm very confident that if most practitioners were exposed to a lot of this stuff and knew it, then they would be very open to it sometimes. But you, you, you we're not trained in, I mean, we're not trained in nutrition really, right? I mean, you learn a little bit, you learn about nutritional deficiencies and you learn about uh, like what to watch for in terms of disease, but you don't get nutritionist training. You don't get training in healthy diets and, and how to help patients eat well, get the nutrients they need. What do they need? You know, in general, it's very minimal about that stuff, but that is so vital but that's just not part of medical training as it stands right now. It doesn't mean it can't be in the future and it doesn't mean doctors can't be, you know, super experts in that field, but there's only so much that you can learn and so much that you can do. So it's, it's all, a lot of this stuff is, I think, systemic issues too, where it's like, we have to figure out a way to work some of the stuff back in. And maybe that's not through doctors, you know, maybe we learn a little bit, but it, I really think it has to be more of a team effort because I'm not going to know as much as a nutritionist is going to know. Unless I'm interested, you know, if you're going to learn that stuff for five years or however long they go through school specifically, uh, I think it's important to get a little bit more knowledge about how important these things are. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's about getting the patients with the experts in that field and getting time and, and valuing prevention as much as we value treatment. I love that. And, you know, I'm sitting here thinking like part of the issue as a doula that I've run into when I'm supporting a mother, you know, who wants a natural birth and wants breast, you know, to have a successful breastfeeding relationship, so often they think, they go into their parent-pediatrician relationship thinking that you are an expert in all things baby. You know, I think that there's this 
impression that doctors are on this big pedestal and they know everything. And of course, they go to school for so many years and are experts in medicine and, and infection mm-hmm. and disease. But I think there is this impression from parents that pediatricians are experts in breastfeeding and infant sleep and infant behavior and infant you know, feeding and all of these areas that they're actually, as you're saying, are not experts in and would, would do better in a team setting being able to refer out to people who do study these things intensely. Yeah, I, I agree completely with that. I, I, I think that, you know, the word expert is a tough one, right? Because I think that as a doctor, you get a good amount of training on most things. You definitely know more than the probably the average person on like sleep and, 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 you know, diet in general and, mm-hmm. and breastfeeding. Like we definitely learn some about that, but not as much as a breastfeeding expert. Right. And also we're not doing it every day. Right? right. And it's like a surgeon, you know, do you, do you want to go to a surgeon that does something every once in a while? Or do you want to go to a surgeon on your surgery that does that same exact thing every single day? You're obviously going to be a lot more in tune with what's the latest and greatest and, and, you know, what breadth of knowledge, if you're reading about something every day and you're doing something every day, as opposed to someone who's more of a generalist, a pediatrician's a good touch point. They're a good, you know, first step. They're a great person to chat with and to to get referred to or to know you know where to go. But we're we're I wouldn't say that we're super experts at all of these things, right? We have some knowledge, and every doctor's a little different. So there might be some doctors that are experts at breastfeeding or some doctors that are experts at sleep because they just like that topic and they do it a lot. Mm-hmm. But you know, I might talk about breastfeeding a couple of times a week versus a breastfeeding consultant that all they do all day is is do that. So you know, it's it's a good we're a good person to talk to, but we're also, we also don't know everything. And, and, you know, sometimes in medicine or any field, we're not, we're not humble, right? It's like, oh yeah, we know everything, but we don't, right? Like we really don't. And we're really not experts at a lot of these things because we don't do that all day. We're, we're, we're definitely experts at general kid health and wellness and, and just seeking out what is a really bad thing to watch for, like mm-hmm. making sure your kid doesn't have cancer or making sure that we're going to keep you alive or healthy. Like that's what we're trained for. We're trained to identify the really bad stuff and make sure that that's not what's going on. But we're definitely not trained to that level in all these preventative modalities mm-hmm. where you could spend 20 years learning these fields and still not totally be an expert. Absolutely. That's the thing. I wonder, I have to ask, how did you get to be this way? Like, what was the thing that sparked you from becoming a, a typically trained pediatrician, going through that training, there must have been something that shifted you into this holistic mindset, this mindset, this this humility you're presenting yourself with of sort of like, I don't know everything and there's better ways and we need to work as a team. This is, for parents who are listening to this, I have three kids, I've been a mom for 10 years. I've, I've probably personally had like six different pediatricians. Um, this is not how it goes in most pediatricians offices. This is not what you get. So I'm wondering if you can, if you have a story that sort of sparked you into exploring and learning more about holistic and integrative pediatric health. Yeah, I think it's two, two prongs. One, again, it's my wife, like she's pretty holistic minded and and just kind of seeing the way that she lived her life and how much better I felt eating, you know, good food and, and things like that. I think that was one big piece. And then the other big piece is just seeing patients, friends, people be in the medical world for years and not get better and then go to some natural practitioner that we would, you know, probably make fun of or call woo woo. And then they would get better. 
within a couple weeks or a month or, or whatever it is. And that just kept happening. And I was like, what am I missing? Like, why is somebody going to this naturopathic doctor or this acupuncturist or whatever it was? I don't, you know, it's not a specific story, but like whatever it was back in, back in the day where they were going to these practitioners and they would get better. I'm like, what am I missing? Like, what is going on here? And so that's what really led me to start learning. And then I really just loved I just loved it. I just thought it was so interesting. And, and, and it's one of those things where you're, it's like an aha moment. You're just like, well, why weren't mm. we thinking this way? Especially when I went to the functional medicine training, um, which really focuses on, on root cause thinking. And you go there and you start learning and you're like, wait, what? Like, wh- why am I not thinking about why? <laughs> you know, it's like such basic things, but you just, you're just so focus on training for so many years and a equals b and getting it right for the test and figuring out what the answer is and you like kind of lose the 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 forest and (laughs) when you're looking you just you don't think about why not really because you're just doing everything so fast um and you see so many patients and it just it was very i don't know logical and and it just was like yeah that's what i got to do because it doesn't make any sense not to I love that. I have a similar experience with like, I love how you keep referring to it as the woo woo. It's like, I I have friends that are very woo woo. And I have this like analytical brain that doesn't want it to be true, because it's not necessarily in a study somewhere. And yet, again, sort of like what you said, it's like, you just see it working again, and again, and again. And it's, it's, it continues to spark curiosity for me, um, as and I incorporate it into my life as best I can. So for parents who are pregnant and are thinking about the way that they want to raise their children and listening to this, um, are there parenting books or is there like a, a resource that you would recommend for them to start diving into some of this stuff? If you like um, learning about like natural medicine and just like something that's really good and evidence-based, it's, uh, the, oh yeah, the, the Holistic Pediatrician by Kathy, by Kathy Kemper. It's a great book. It's really good if you're somebody who's kind of in the middle and wants a natural approach, but also wants the evidence. And they, they kind of go through with a lot of the common childhood things that you'll come up with, like coughs, cold, runny noses, stomach bugs, things like that, and looks at the evidence for natural and, and medical uh, treatments and support and, and kind of goes through what is the evidence on, on both sides, which is great. That's the only book I've really ever seen that really gets into it that much, um, especially for someone who's kind of wanting to dip their toe in. And that's a pretty scientific book um, that goes through all those things. Wonderful. That's I'm going to go out and get that. Everybody go get that book from Amazon. Um, so I'd love to ask you about your availability. I know you're in Florida. You have a full, busy pediatric practice. Are there ways for people to be in touch with you or get some sort of support or consult with you um virtually or otherwise yeah so i'm actually in la that's the gator thing so it's not not oh i'm sorry (laughs) but that's why uh makes perfect sense yeah i'm in los angeles um we do we are taking patients in the office so you can call um and sometimes we'll do consults online as well depending on what it's for um so you know you can always give us a call at the office um or just message me or you can check out integratedpediatrics.com and you can find me through that or i'm also opening up a master class that's going to be on raising amazing plus so there's gonna be all sorts of master classes on the pandemic and um, on pregnancy and newborn and we're gonna have all sorts of experts so that's another good place to find me um, if you want to look at that raising amazing plus 
Wonderful. That's really great. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. This is so great. And it's just, it's, Be Her Village is all about getting parents, you know, in front of these professionals that you're talking about, nutritionists, sleep people, breastfeeding support. And I love how you talked about how we need a whole team. You don't just need a pediatrician. You need a bunch of people helping you through this. And so I really am grateful for your time and for your expertise um, and sitting down with me today. So thank you so much for that. Thanks for having me.